Hey, what's up? Today we are talking to Chris Bianchi, a manager, musician, booking agent, record label owner, and festival promoter. He does a lot of different stuff. It's a really good conversation. And uh, before we get into that, I got to tell you about the new thing we got going on here. You can become a member of the Burn This World podcast. Head over to Burn This World com for only three dollars a month you can support everything that we're doing here and also get some exclusives you get the icebreaker sections some questions that i ask the guests before we start then also the after show where i go over my thoughts on everything that we covered in the podcast and my thoughts on the whole situations and at the top tier i will even privately review your music and help you as an artist or your band create a roadmap to where you guys can uh uh, complete your goals as artists. And so head over to burnthisworld.com, click the become a member button at the top of the page and become a member today for only $3 a month and help support us here. So let's get into this episode with Chris. I am Johnny McBee. You're listening to the Burn This World podcast. Um, that does kind of bridge into basically a lot of what I want to talk to you about here. Um, and cause you just had impending doom on your festival. Um, yeah. And you know, I, you know, we have a lot of people on this podcast that came to this podcast because of, um, irate fest canceling, uh, sure. cause sure. I, I was pretty vocal about it and about my experience with irate fest and everything. Um, and so to talk to, someone that has organized a big successful pod or a uh, festival is something I really wanted to do. <laughs> and so no, that's super cool. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, with uh summit fest, it was in Akron, Ohio, right? Yeah, it was, it was in Akron, Ohio. Yeah. And I saw pictures. I had a bunch of friends that were playing, like I said, impending doom, also dropout Kings hunt the dinosaur. Um, and so it was, uh, it was good to see, a, a fest, you know, pop off and do well. And, um, so what, what got you into wanting to put together a festival like this? Yeah, totally. Totally. No, it's a great question too. I mean, it's just been a labor of love over the years. You know I mean? I guess running CB entertainment and kind of dabbling across the board in artist management, you know, development. We also have done booking, um, for many, many, you know, probably 12, 15 years now on and off and stuff like that locally, nationally. Um, and I even used to book my own band, you know, when we were signed to metal blade in the early days, I would book our tours DIY and stuff like that. So it's kind of been ingrained into me. And I actually started the idea of wanting to just do basically a party, you know, and cause I, there were so many big festivals that were out there already and that were established. And it was like way beyond my caliber of budgeting or anything like that. So I was like, you know what, everything is so I hate to use the word, but it's like so corporate with those and they're, they're fine and they're already there and they work, but I'd rather do something where it's more like free flow. Cause I was inspired by like the health fest DVDs. If you remember yeah. those back in the day from New Jersey and like, that was like the DIY, but you know, on a bigger scale type of a thing where they just like rent a pavilion, throw up stages and sound, make it pretty legit, but just like the experience and the atmosphere was what it was about. So that's kind of what I tried to emulate off of, you know, with something like that to where I could call up my friends um, bring us all together for like a weekend or a day to like camp party, everybody play, we bring fans in and everybody's treated good and not overpriced and overcharged and all that stuff. And just really 
you know, like a VFW vibe, but like on a bigger scale was kind of the thought. So we started planning it years back and then COVID happened. So that knocked us off basically of having to do anything for like two years, um, just sitting there waiting, you know, and hoping we could get shows back and stuff. So then the first year, you know, still coming off of COVID was quite tricky and it was just kind of like a proving grounds to, you know, still build it and stuff like that. And then this was our, our technical year too. Um, and it was definitely way more, you know, grown and successful on, on a comparative form to year one. But, you know, there's still so much more room to grow as well along the way. But I think taking small baby steps instead of overdoing it, like some places or companies or fests I've seen do, you know, they kind of go too hard, too quick, and then they blow it all out and then it like never happens again. So yeah. I'm more about trying to take my time and do gradual, you know, growth each year and still keep that kind of party mentality that cool you know atmosphere without it being overpriced for people too yeah and you see so many festivals that fail from going too far like one of the biggest festivals that would happen was a sound wave in australia and it like failed because just because they went into deep and got metallica and it just completely bankrupted them like yeah yeah which i could imagine because and see artists don't think about so that's something too behind the scenes and it's not even like you know but like artists don't necessarily always know but when you go and you put the word festival in a booking and and, you know a band that's normally ten thousand dollars now wants eighteen thousand dollars because it's a festival you know and then on top of it you have to have crazy specialty sound and gear and lighting and all this stuff that sometimes people forget about, you know, and and it is just so extreme to even try to make it a reality. Right. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't believe that whenever I realized, like it said something like they went into like $5 million in debt from that, from getting Metallica and it just completely screwed it. And that was Soundwave was one of the biggest festivals in the world. And it, it was like a touring festival in Australia. And it just sucks that something can just from one bad decision, I mean, I'm sure there was plenty of bad decisions that led to it, but of course, seemingly, of course, yeah, seemingly they were like just getting that one band kind of really, you know, threw it all under, but they went in too far over their heads. They were like, you yeah, know, it's tricky. It is. And I get both sides too, as like the fan perspective, you want to see something, you know, kind of better. It's like an amusement park, right? Like you yeah. want a new roller coaster every year to stay interested. You want something fresh every year. Um, but and you can only go so far. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's where it gets really tricky too. On when you max out, then what do you do as well? So, yeah. And uh, what, what is like when putting together a festival like this, what's the biggest hurdle like initially that you have to get over to be able to make it actually function properly? That's a great question too. And honestly, it is securing a headliner that is, a, somebody that you kind of enjoy yourself and it's not all about you, but I mean, you want it to be somebody that you somewhat are interested in. Cause that's like the whole point of wanting to, you know, do all this and the stress. I mean, it's not about the money for me, even though, you know, we hope and, and we want to be able to, everybody wants to pay their bills. Right. But like, it's still about the passion. So I like to find a headliner that a I'm interested in. Um, and it's the trickle down effect of that between speaking with agents. And then again, when the word festivals in it, you know, are they going to be able to be available if so, what kind of price range? Do they want flights? Do they want specialty gear rented? Do they need a crazy special stage and lighting rig rented? Um, really fine-toothing all the stuff to be able to find, again, the median where it's like it's it's comparable to be a headliner and they can actually put the heads in the seats, but they're not asking an overt you know, asking yeah. price to where it's just un, unaffordable. So that's always the number one challenge to solve that and then from there it's kind of the trickle effect of being able to build around that with your headliner 
planning your staging and your production needs based on that headliner um, and then being able to look for sponsors and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of people that are listening to this, like a lot of times, whatever, because we get hit up to do festivals all the time. But if I'm not on tour, then I either have to be flown in like the whole band or we have to book like a tour around a fest. And so that's where it's like all these extra expenses and it gets a little harder to lock in like a lot of these, you know, bigger bands because they have a lot of bigger requirements um, to be able to do stuff like this. And so I can I can. I, I bet it is difficult finding a headliner that not only has the availability, but also the willingness to, you know, do those right. steps, you know? Um, right. And, and, you know, that's part of the challenge too, is even, and thankfully knock on wood, you know, I have the years put in and, and the time, you know, the hundred hour rule, they say, or whatever it is over these years, yeah. but like where we have the relationships with agents where at least we can have those conversations because there's some people that, you know, the agent won't even respond to you. Or if mm-hmm. so, it's just like, they will, you know, bleed you dry of your budget instantly because they know and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm thankful for that, that we have relationships and we can at least, you know, converse about ideas and toss things around and and they're willing to work with me to see if a couple things can stick, which is nice. But yeah, ultimately the artist has to be happy too. And that's where it's fine line because again, you know, we're, we're equipped to handle up to certain circumstances, but then if it's like, the other week, actually, we had a request. This is a third party thing, but the one mixer that they needed alone was like, I swear, our production said it was like a fifty thousand dollar board. I had never even heard of, and I'm like, when it gets to that kind of stuff, man, you know, that's it's a little too far. We can't do it. So. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, especially with a lot of these bigger headliners, it it seems like they are very much so. Especially with a festival, if there's a if they they know there's a bigger budget, so they can ask for more, but they can they also expect a lot. But in in fairness, they're trying to put on as good of a show as they can for as many people as possible. So it makes sense, but sometimes it is a bit um, excessive, and you got to be. I try to be as realistic with, as possible with anything in the industry. Like that's why um, the Browning, my band, has had success because I've always charged under what we're actually worth to promoters because I don't want them to lose money. I want the promoters to bring us back. I want them to, you know, be happy with the show. I don't want to overcharge or make it too difficult so that we have a bad relationship with people. And, um, I just try Mm -hmm. to be realistic from both like what I need to make it possible, but also, um, what the promoter or whoever's putting on the show can, can, uh, realistically, you know, pay or make happen without becoming too big of a burden. I don't want to be a big burden on anybody that's bringing us out for a show, you know? Yeah. And that's a great thing to hear you say that too, again, as a, as a musician side, as I am, and also, you know, the business side of things as we both are, but I think that's something great that I hope more bands will listen to what you said and understand. And it's not just like giving promoters a break, like, Oh, just cut them slack or whatever. But it really is that team. And, and just like you said, that understanding and that fine line of like, you know, there's future, we work together, we, we earn together for future and build that rapport across. And that really helps the bands and it helps the promoters stay afloat. Um, you know, it's not just one sided because it seems like in media and press. And again, I'm sure there's plenty of the people that have fucked it up for everybody, but at the same time in media and press, it always seems almost so one sided to where it's like, 90% bands, 10% of a promoter or like a, you know, or whatever. And it's just like an attack, like, Oh, this person is just evil and it's just bad and whatever. Yeah. And it seems like it almost trains a band mentality, you know, unfortunately to like, just be on the, de- the defense and the attack and, you know, screw you, you're going to screw us. We don't care. And, and I hate to 
see it that way. Again, I know so many people can run that for everybody, but I think it's a good, like it is a team, you know, effort across the board. I mean, fans have to remember the Benny is not free, you know, and the sound's not free and the lights and all that kind of stuff too. So, yeah, exactly. And there, there is a lot of expenses now, like you said, there are some people that are, you know, that, like you said, have kind of ruined it for everyone. Cause I have had plenty of promoters that have put fake expenses in or, you know, oh, yeah. done stuff yeah. like that to try to get out that of sucks. Yeah. And so that, that happens a good amount, but after being involved in the industry for long enough and having a good booking agent, I always say a booking agent's probably the most important thing you can have as an artist. Um, sure. And just at least if you're trying to get out there and tour and, you know, play a good shows because like we don't work with, shop promoters anymore you know we've been working with the same people for a long time and so it's really important but imagine if you know one show seven years ago we overcharged this one really good promoter and he never wants to book us again like that's why i've never done that you know (laughs) i've always wanted to make it as fair as possible um and so from your perspective you're you've been a touring musician and you've also uh, you know, you're heavily involved in the industry side of it now. And we both come from the perspective of understanding promoters and how the venues work and everything. So what is your um, thoughts? This is a big topic recently. What's your thoughts on merch mm-hmm. cuts? Um, you know, I'm mostly against it. I mean, as an artist, obviously, it really sucks. And, you know, as a promoter, I mean, I, I just have never done it like over the years we booked hundreds of tours and shows packages and stuff through multiple venues and stuff and i mean i don't think i can almost ever recall a time where we took a merch cut you know and it was just something that i had never came up with they never did it again at like the vfws or most of the places we toured even when i self-booked the only place i ever ran into that stuff was the higher caliber of venues which was of course live Live nation Nation. aeg house of blueses and stuff and that was really rough on us. And I honestly hated it because we did like some dates with Chimera back in the day, you know, House of Blueses and stuff. And that was like our main, you know, earnings, as you know, and it was like a 20% cut of it for what, you know, we sold it ourselves. They didn't sell it for us or anything like that. So that kind of stuff I think really sucks. Um, so I don't necessarily agree with it at all. I can't say that I can find any kind of a way that I can make really any fair logical sense, except maybe like if they provide you, you know, somebody who sells it for you, counts it in for you, does work for you, does all the stuff for you, you know, maybe like a, a cut of that if you don't have to worry about it. But as 99.9% of bands, usually if you're at that caliber, you know, would bring in a merch person or would run it yourself. But that'd be about the only thing I think I could agree on is if they didn't force you, but offered, you know, hey, we have somebody that's willing to do it for right. a cut or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does feel like a... um because uh, I was literally about to bring up Live Nation about this situation just because it's like they do have a monopoly seemingly on a lot of the large venues and you basically yeah. don't have a choice. They will not book you in your room if you don't give them that 20% cut. And that's how the festivals are too. When you reach, I won't say names or certain ones, but I mean, you know, the biggest ones, it's the same thing. And we have the up and comers play and it's a 20 or 25% merch cut. It really sucks. Yeah. And it is crazy. Like, I mean, because there's just so many percentages, everyone kind of getting their fingers in on uh, band stuff, and um, this is this is one reason that I I have never really gotten involved in management and whatnot is coming so much from the band perspective. It's hard for me to like uh, take a percentage, you know, <laughs> like. But if you're providing that band extra income, 
then it's justified, you know? Uh, but it is just like that fine line of like, uh, how much, like, can, can I take a percentage from this band on this tour uh, and them still be able to get home and pay their bills? So you as a manager, like, how do you, uh, like, how are you going about making sure that the band is capable and um, able to pay that extra 15% or whatever percentage is to you? Another great tour? question. Yeah, it's another great question. I mean, I think, you know, management starts with kind of almost an old school mentality of like the 10 to 15%. And I think that started and stemmed from again in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, when artists yep. would go and get a $150,000 deal, $500,000 advances and stuff like that. As opposed to the modern day now, there's no advances. It's, you know, almost scratch for that. But the thing that is kind of a trickle effect is like, and it gets tricky is like an artist will want somebody to work and put in, you know, say 50 hours of, of work over the course of a month or something like that. But then if they don't sell or say, and you know, I mean, you can only try your best, but there's no one in the world that can ever say, I can guarantee make you X amount of money. You know I mean? That's mm -hmm. just an impossible feat. So that's where it's tricky to ask somebody to come in on a hope factor in this day and age or a belief factor, because you know, if you put in 50 hours of work as a manager between doing phone calls, talking with the agent, planning this, getting the new merch ready, getting the tour ready, you know, and doing all the stuff behind the scenes. And then the band earns, you know, just to use an example, but a thousand dollars for that month because it's an off month. I mean, you can't literally earn fractions of pennies of a percent of nothing for 50 hours of work. And I mean, nobody in their right mind would work on that kind of a basis and put in full hard efforts their best work, their best foot forward to want you to win. So that's where it comes down to like, there has to be a conversation of just like any, you know, if you're trying to run a business, you have to have a budget of some sort available to afford somebody who's a professional to run that business, just like Nike, just like anywhere else needs a CEO. The CEO is not just paid on a, you know, a commission only um, type of a situation. So, I mean, it's really a case by case to the band. If the band is already at a place where they're earning and they need somebody to step in, and there's proven revenue, proven brand, proven stuff like that, then it's, again, you're kind of hiring a CEO who's proven to take the reins and help build that and make it better. If not, then it's more like artist development where you need somebody to hands-on, help with the marketing, help with the day-to-day, -day, help with the plotting and planning, and then maybe pay them just a flat rate instead of a percentage, depending. Yeah, and that's something I was actually um, going to bring up was how do you feel about like flat rate managers? Like someone's like, I'll manage your band, you know, you pay me $500 a month. I think there has to be something that they can provide that's, again, proven in who they are. You know, I mean, if, if nobody has proof in the pudding, then there's no reason to pay that. If somebody or a company has proof in the pudding, it's more about like the texturized items and having the discussion too of like, you know, what can they provide value wise? What can be provided? What's going to be done for what budget and things like that, I think. And I found that to be pretty beneficial because at the end of the day, the artist stays in control of their rights. They know where they want to go. And again, it's kind of like consulting, you know, I mean, a lot of companies hire a consultant to help trim the fat, so to speak, you know, and then the, the company still is in charge ultimately, but whether they choose to follow that stuff or not is kind of up to them, which I think is pretty cool. And it's like an a la carte service. Some artists don't need this. Some artists want this. Some artists don't need that. Um, so it doesn't lock you into being fully like stuck either. Yeah. And I, I like, I've always thought that for at least up and coming, like smaller bands, something like that is a better option than a percentage. Like if you just straight up need some guidance or some, like some, uh, maybe a couple connections here and there, 
like paying someone a flat rate, I think is uh, fine. Um, but how does someone going to discern like the scammers that are, you know, pay me 300 bucks a month and I'll manage a band versus someone that's actually doing it. Like how does someone discern between a scam manager or like someone that's legit that's offering that? No, that's another amazing question too. I mean, and on a, on a musician perspective, I mean, I've come across so many shitty agents and, you know, management quote companies and book, you know, and marketing mm-hmm. people and all that stuff. I think it's just like anything else is just, you have to do a little bit of homework and research. And especially with the power of the internet now is like anybody of course can pop up like a company or an Instagram or whatever, but like through a simple, you know, Google search, is there any information viable about them? Is there any info you can find on this person? Um, importantly too, like past clients who have you worked with in the past? Is there any reference points of artists and things like that? Um, you know, proof in the pudding basically type of a thing. And I mean, if there is, then I think it's worth having the conversations again. And if not, it's like, you, you can just kind of blatantly tell like, Oh dude, you don't have any clientele. I've never heard of you. I've never seen you do anything. You don't have anything big going on. No offense, but I'm not into it. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, that is, basically what I've always kind of determined to is like someone had gone on like one tour or something and then they start charging people like local bands, a monthly fee to supposedly get them to that point too. And it's just, it's hard. Cause like so many people are preying on like the hopes and dreams of musicians <laughs> that it's kind of hard to uh, determine like who's actually doing it because they want to help people and who's doing it just cause it's, it's kind of easy money in that sense. But um, there is a lot of scams out there, both with like, <clears throat> you know, quote unquote record labels that are basically just like a, like you said, an Instagram promotional page. Um, but they're taking a percentage of people's music rather than like a proper record label handling stuff. Um, and so it, it is just, especially with how big the internet now is, it's, it's, you got to make sure to determine those things. And really, I don't, I don't know if there's a benefit of signing with a, um, smaller label, like you said, there's no advances and they're essentially a promotional tool. So what do you think is, um, where, where can a band best put like their, um, I guess their, their money on, do they want to invest a percentage of their music to like a small record label that's going to do promotion or should they like straight up pay like a marketing, like a PR firm? Personally, in my opinion, I guess, again, first to say it's case by case, I would say looking at what that company is, if they have any proven, you know, things that they can bring to the table, of course, again, beyond just like, hey, I can put you on our Spotify playlist that we handmade ourselves type of, you know, shit like that. If they have anything viable, like, hey, we can actually get you this coverage. We can actually get you here. We can help do this and bring this to the table. We'll cover the cost of press releases for you. Um, and issuing it and, you know, do stuff like that. It's worth considering maybe a percentage if it's right. Um, if not, I'd say just go with again, hiring a la carte and finding the right people and kind of building your own team within, you know, you can build your own publicist, you can build your own agent, eventually, uh, find the best distributor to release and get in contact with them depending. And then, you know, that's where I kind of step in, even with CB entertainment a lot is where I help kind of take all those missing like all those pieces there that we're saying and like, guide the artist and help them trim the fat to where they're not just going out paying this random dude a bunch of money for nothing. And then not getting anything and paying this person here and like doing this and getting scammed around. Uh, our company's kind of goal with that is to like be the one stop hub where 
I can oversee them, give them my experience from, you know, 15 years in this business, from touring, from booking, from managing, uh, running a record company now through the universal, you know, moniker and stuff like that. So, I mean, I can give the hands-on training of like what works, what doesn't work in my opinion, uh, and try to protect them to it from, like you said, being scammed, being dicked around and wasting their money on investment. But the biggest thing I, I could say is just investing in yourself. And that's where I also see a lot of artists now give stuff away and I don't agree with it. And the people can argue me all day long if that, you know, on their perspective of it, but like those random YouTube channels where it's like, you know, a uh, whatever metal core is so-and-so whatever. And yeah, it might have 65,000, you know, fans on it. And that's great. I'm not hating on that. I think it's cool. But like, I see so many artists like, Oh, we just did a premiere there. And like you put it out, it's out for you know three hours and then it's forgotten. There's 37 other videos getting uploaded that week. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a small community there, but I see artists like doing that stuff and spinning their wheels all the time. So I try to teach them, bring the fans to yourself. Don't give your video content away to somebody else. So they get the subscribers, they get the views, they get the content, um, bring it to yourself and find a way to engage your fans to like want to come to you is kind of my thought and training process. So you build your own network, your own platform, and then you can utilize that to jump off of. Definitely. Yeah. Cause like, um, like what he is, sorry, not what he is. I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> what you're referencing is like how people will go to like slam worldwide and pay them like 500 bucks to put their music video on their YouTube page. In, and like there's uh, a bunch of those sites and i think it's helpful too i'm not you know dogging or saying it's not but i think it's just like anything else you know media can get cut and dry with like a premiere uh mm-hmm. you know endorsements can get cut and dry like remember when cold cock every single band was endorsed by cold yeah. cock back in the day you know examples like that it's just like yeah and i mean a lot of bands do get kind of um I th- I think that a lot of people just don't know where to put their stuff out, and especially if it becomes such a uh, a standard. Like if you're in a slam band and you want to release a song, you got to put it on this channel. Which, like, if you're paying for that, you can just put that same money into something else that, like you said, drives the traffic to your own stuff rather than driving traffic to their stuff. Like, um, and I think you're right about that. I think that there's. For some things, like there are some tiny, tiny projects that do pay to get their stuff out on that. So, like you said, a lot of this stuff is case to case basis. But if you have any sort of standard, like smaller following, probably is best to put it out on your stuff. But if you have zero following, then maybe it is beneficial to put it out on a channel like that. Um, so, sure, it sure. Is case and get to some case. basis going. Yeah. yeah. Get in front of some eyes of that audience and then figure out how to web it out from there for sure. Yeah. Or, Figure yeah. out co- collaborations and stuff. Totally. Yeah. And um, so with you being a manager and helping people kind of get um, like kind of get their stuff out there like this, uh, how much value do you put on reaction channels? Um, I've used a couple, you know, over the years. I mean, I've seen that spike. Obviously, there's always like a spike in something, you know, I mean, AP was a spike for a while where everybody wanted that and it jumped to this for a while and it jumps to that The reaction thing. Lyric videos was a huge spike for a while. (laughs) You know, it it all comes in those waves, right? So, I mean, we've done a handful of them and I think they're useful again, kind of like those other channels, just depending on like the person, who they are, the network of their audience and like how many videos of that kind of stuff they're dropping to to be so easily forgotten or not you know if they're like maybe like one or two a week or something where it gives it time for the audience to bask in it and like discover it it's totally cool if not it's just kind of like one of those run-of-the-mill things depending where oh we got five new new of these videos per week 
um, you know, you just kind of fall, fall by the wayside a lot of times, it seems like. For sure. So, like, basically just make sure that, like, if you're paying someone for a promotion, that there's actually a, a bit of a focus on the promotion that you're paying for rather than, like, you know, five bands that day and then you're just one of the five. Like, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Sometimes a lot of those things can overdo it to where it's just it, you really start like and, and from their perspective, too, they're probably just hurting themselves because if they <laughs> uploaded less or did less or focused more, they would probably get more money or more of a return in general if they would right. put a little more right. effort into each one. Now, as a manager, here's something quick, not to throw us off a topic, but like something that I've tried to ask about and maybe bands think about this too, just for a random hypothetical. But like, if you do one of those, most cases, they'll never like boost it, right? Or whatever. So if Uh we ever do a premiere with, you know, so-and-so magazine or, you know, again, one of those channels or something, I'll try to make sure I converse with them in advance and just ask the question, hey, if we send you, you know, 50 extra dollars and kind of the targeting idea, would you mind? to boost the post on your page, yeah. you know, so something like that, that a lot of people I, maybe don't ask about, or they just don't think about or don't do. Sometimes the people are down, sometimes they're not, but like that little type of a thing to where if you are dropping it with them, you at least can like utilize their audience a little bit more. And it's worth putting those couple bucks extra, you know, out of your pocket into their channel yeah. to reach more people and stuff would be a thought, I guess, but always worth asking if you're going to do that. And if the timing's right. Well, I mean, I think that, I think everyone benefits from that. You know, I, uh, that makes a lot of sense to totally. do. Like, because the person is basically getting free reach to their fans um, as the influencer. And then, like, the artist is getting more value out of what they're paying for from the person. So I think that should probably be more of a focus from a lot of these people. Because, like, if essentially, if you don't pay money anymore and your crap doesn't go viral, it doesn't really get seen by any percentage of the audience. So it makes a lot of sense right. to offer to pay for an ad if the person could just set it up, you know, that would make a lot of sense. Even if it's like, Hey, we want to run a hundred dollar ad on your uh, platform. We'll pay you $150 to run a hundred dollar ad just to make sure you can put, right. you know, <laughs> you know, they make a little extra yeah, on top like that. Yeah. And there's been a few, like, again, the bigger magazines sometimes for into it or we're like, Oh, we don't really do that. Or, you know, it's my case again, as everything is, but like, never hurts to ask. And that's a, uh, I think, I love and uh there's this one manager that i look up to and he's on youtube and stuff and he managed incubus his name's ren man and uh he says like if you don't ask you don't get so never be afraid to ask as an artist that you know the worst somebody could say is no basically so yeah and how do you how do you like um thread the line of asking too much like i feel like it's actually a problem that i have a lot of times if I am hitting up someone for like a, a business opportunity, you know, as certain things like this are like, I feel like sometimes I go a little too hard in like asking too much or in uh, like even just being too upfront about it being that like, how do you, how do you thread that line of not being annoying, but still getting your point across? you know maybe is there any common connection and do just a little back research again depending on the what but like is you know does this person maybe know this guy that i know and i can just bring that up to break the ice somehow or you know any kind of a common flow to just create you know is usually helpful and then uh and then asking along the way and stuff like that seem to 
proved pretty helpful, I guess, for me, you know, and then just figuring out to without straight saying it or being like, you know, that kind of guy, but you figure out ways how to, how do we bring value to each other as people, you know, not just abusing or money or whatever, but just like, Hey, can I do this for you? Or could, you know, and just whatever, figure each other out kind of along the way and see instead of, you know, whatever, but like, see, Hey, I can do this. Hey, we have this going on you know, maybe we could do this together, just bringing up ideas. So it feels collaborative. I always find to work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, cause even a lot of people that hit me up, like the, instead of trying to create like a, a bond or something that we can talk about together or whatever, it's like sometimes if they get straight to the point, I, I'm guilty of not really looking into it as well. So it's, it's one of those things I'm, I'm, I'm mainly trying to learn right now is because I'm getting a little more involved like with the podcast and talking to people and sponsors and all this sort of stuff. And I'm trying to not be so forward, but I can't help myself sometimes because I'm pretty straight to the point, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of stuff in the industry is about like personal relationships. And like I said, with the promoters or even with a label or a manager, it's important to be close to people that you're working with or wanting to work with. Um, and what's your, What's your favorite part of the industry to work in as far as booking, managing, record label, festivals? Like, you do all this stuff. Like, what's your favorite sure. part that you work in? To be honest, I think it's it's like the building of all of it behind the scenes, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. It's like the exciting part for me is the whole process, the anticipation of booking the festival and talking about it and going to the location and like, you know, just measuring and taking pictures and same with like management is like the behind the scenes part first of us, you know, building the product, so to speak, I hate to use that word, but like building the product of whatever it is of the music and hearing the demos and then being a part of it coming to life and till the marketing and then the day it comes out and stuff. So I guess just all the behind the scenes leading up to it, because it's really never a boring moment. And I think that's why, you know, I still love doing this and, and kind of switching lanes a little bit, but staying generalized into the same vicinity is, you know, there's always something new going on. But uh, yeah, the behind the scenes is really the the funnest part for me. And then obviously when it's like the event or the release comes out or whatever, that's just the bonus kind of a little cherry worth and stuff. And it's rewarding to kind of stand back and be like, wow, it's here. You know, we did so many happy people, whether it's listening to the music or, you know, at a festival or in a band we did or something like that, it's cool to stand back and just like see we we made people happy, hopefully, and stuff like that. But yeah, the the process along the way is what I'm all about. Yeah, and I I would agree too. I really love um it is really satisfying to actually finish a, a project and get something really going or if you, you know, sometimes I'll help friends out with stuff behind the scenes and whenever I see it actually come to fruition, it is very, um, you know, satisfying. And um, I do in, enjoy the busy work, but monetization is always the hard part of stuff like this. Like you said, even the festival, it's not about the money. Um, but, you know, if you guys make some profit at the end, then it's worth it. And like, I feel like monetizing the music industry is like the hardest thing to figure out, like properly, especially at a when you're talking about bands that are up and coming. And um, so in the, sure. in, in the modern world, like what is the, what's the, the quickest way that an artist can get to properly monetizing themselves? 
That's a great question too. I mean, the thing that I found to seem to work now is just straight out of the gate. And again, it's really hard for a lot of artists to to know this, right? So I mean, because I never knew this stuff until I've spent all these years and, you know, learned it. But just like thinking of yourself again as a brand and to some they hate hearing that and stuff. But you know, it's not just music. You're not just a sweet band, like you are a brand to people. So you have to demand value or people don't respect value of you. So I think from day one, you know, without again, the ego or, or, you know, we deserve this type of a thing. You have to let people know, Hey, we are a brand. Hey, we have, you know, have professional merchandise, have some cool stuff going, you know, work on having pro logos and, and kind of imagery and stuff, or maybe even build the stuff before you put it out, you know, and, and kind of don't give it away before it's ready to come out. Stuff like that I find to be the most impactful. So then when you have that one chance for making a spark, um, when you're brand new or making an impact or something, it's like, you know, you don't blow it, I guess, kind of, because people's attention spans are so short. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, again, there's so many different ways now. Like there's another way that's old school, but that's working right now for this band called Silly Goose. Um, and that name I know is funny, but like they're literally... They hooked it up to the back of their truck with their equipment in it, and they drive to all these shows and festivals and just straight DIY, like Limp Biscuit. Like they're hard, they fucking rock, and they get like 500 people at every show outside of these parking lots, moshing, going crazy. You know, doing doing like 360 flips off the trailer that they're playing and stuff, getting stopped by the cops. <laughs> so like, this is really working for them, but it's old school style, kind of doing something like that. So I mean, there's still a lot of cool options, and then. You know, on the more corporate side of things, I'm always getting nagged at by people. TikTok, man, TikTok is the only way. We only want that. We're only looking for, you know, a big hit off of here. We're not putting it out and all this crap to where I'm, I don't care about that. You know, I like it. You know, it's cool. I use it just like any other platform, but like, I don't rely on that. I don't rely on Spotify data. I think the stuff is all cool, but like a great band and a great song to me is always going to be great, especially if they're awesome live. I don't give a shit if they have 3000 Spotify likes or, you know, 50 bazillion because I've seen such a variable on that too. I've seen numerous bands with 500,000 monthlies who draw 12 people to a show, yep. you know? So, I mean, I you know, it's just, I could go on for that crap too forever. <laughs> yeah. I think that they're, I mean, even in the earlier days when the Browning was touring, we, we built our fan base from touring. We had no big hype internet moment. That was never something the Browning has had. But there was these like, quote unquote, hype bands that would headline over us. But when they get on, when they went on stage, there'd be like eighty percent of the crowd gone. And like the right. the internet hype does not necessarily translate to proper fans at the show. You know, it doesn't always translate totally. to actual success. Uh, it can, um, yeah. And, but yeah. It's not that, like you said, I also agree. I do not think that TikTok and whatnot should be such a focus. I think for me personally, I I play the long haul when it comes to this type of sure. stuff. I want to build a proper base so that like, I mean, so many bands have come and gone that have been so hyped up and just then are nothing. And I'm still sitting here, you know, and we're drawing more heads than ever. And I've never had a hype moment online. I've like not even 6,000 followers on Instagram, but we're still drawing 400, 500 people a show, you know? <laughs> no, it's incredible. And that's proven, man, from being out there. And I hate always saying the word old school, but like just getting out there and grinding. And I feel like that's an element that I love. And I feel like is missing somewhat from artists today. I mean, there's still people that do it. Don't get me wrong, but it's also kind of one of those, 
you know, factors it's way harder to do now just due to, you know, the timing and like venues and other certain things. But man, if I didn't have some of the best times ever just out there in the, you know, in the van and like (laughs) playing it and connecting with those kids and, you know, random towns anywhere. And they were just the coolest, coolest people you'll ever meet out there and stuff. And I think that too is like a life shaping thing. It's like college when you're out there touring, you know, you're learning so many things. You're meeting so many people. You're, you're getting like a college course being out on the road um, and life experience, you know, and, and yeah. I think that's something cool that I look back now when I was, you know, touring more as a teen and all that, that I never saw it. Cause there would be those tiresome moments and, you know, the sore necks and you're eating the hot dogs and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But like, now I think of it and I'm like, man, that was seriously, it was great. You know, training out there, you're in the middle of Arizona, broken down, you got the five or six of you and no money. You got to figure out how are we doing this? You know, yep. I say that all the time. Um, and that it, because a lot of times when, when crap's going on, like I always have a solution. Um, my wife even talks about it, how, how calm I stay in situations. And I'm like, I 100% give the credit of that to touring at a small level for Absolutely. a long time. Like I know, I know how to react in all situations and can, you know, make sure that, you know, we come out on top, you know, then, <laughs> and that hundred percent comes like, from oh, touring. I've seen this. Uh, I've dealt with that. Oh, exploded tire. Yep. Done that twice. No <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, with the internet hype thing, um, and uh, one band I always, not always, but I, I do get reminded of them randomly, Dying Fetus, they have like 100,000 monthly on Spotify, but they draw like 1,000 sure. people a night. Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that's a legendary, you know, they've been around forever and, and still killing it, you yeah. know? And so I just, I think there is a way to build like a proper fan base. I, I don't want to be, I would love to have a hype moment. But to capitalize on it and turn it into proper fans is just, uh, I don't know how um, that would come about. And so I'm, I'm glad that I've built the base the way that I have because we just have really dedicated fans. And, um, you know, y- y- I think me and you come from a very similar time frame and era of that touring and building it that way. And so maybe we're just, uh, you know, setting our ways or, <laughs> you know, this is right, how you do right. it, you know, but it does work. It's proven, uh, for all these mainstay bands that are still killing it and don't care about TikTok and don't care about, you know, all this sort of stuff. I think there's really important things to focus on, um, beyond those. Yeah, very true. Yep. And, very true. And then there's always that little bit of magic too, that can always um, never be predicted. And I hear that from, you know, the biggest managers and other reps and things like that all the time prime example of that is like spirit box that you know it was one of those perfect time perfect places obviously a good team and good you know group of people and all that stuff but that's one that like you can't predict or force that magic connection to the fans you know i mean you just it's magic so it's really cool to see them keep it growing yeah definitely yeah they're they're killing it right now and they're they're also like for me they're a big influence on me uh just in like kind of my current goals and inspiration because they were a long time touring band with I wrestled Barrowlands and they've, they're all long time musicians. They're older than the typical, like, uh, you know, what you would think a, a bigger hype band would be, but they basically took all their experience that they had all these years and applied it to a new thing and built that new thing properly and did it really, really well. Absolutely. And so it's like, part of me thinks like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not too late to start something new that can be like, substantial a lot of people think oh i'm 30 years old i can't i can't start something new it's like no they are a prime example of taking your learned experience and applying it to a new thing and it just being done so right yeah i'm pulling it off the right way of course yeah 
And yeah, man, I mean, I always appreciate talking to people that are so involved in the industry and doing all sorts of different things and have a lot of experience. And I really appreciate you being here chatting with me. No, same on my end. It's really cool to get to connect with you here further too. And I'm excited to listen to uh, the podcast and stuff. And yeah, I mean, you had mentioned like Hunt and, and uh, Dropout King. So I mean, long story short about them too, is that was... You know, we're two two bands that I work with and help represent. And I've known Adam from Dropout Kings, and I used to work with his old band for you know a handful of years when they were signed to Invogue Records. We put out an album with them, and you know when that band fell apart, uh, me and Adam had some conversations, talked about stuff, and he's like, "Dude, I want to do another project." Put together a project at that time called Phoenix Down. You know, we put out their video, Street Sharks at the time, did all this stuff, and me and him kind of worked on that project behind the scenes. I won't say it's like just me with the credit, but. That I was a part of the growing and the process of the dropout kings with Adam there, which has been really, really cool to see those guys keep growing, keep grinding uh, and thriving. But that's even been, you know, a long labor of love, uh, you know, for years before that even was their name. You know, he was at it grinding and stuff and, and had those guys together. So it's really cool. Yeah, and they're doing they're doing everything right right now, and they're one of the main bands I see out doing everything right now. They're they're on the festivals, they're on a bunch of sure. tours, they're also even like doing like small headlining runs and everything. So they're, they're doing it right. As opposed to a lot of bands that are like, I'm not touring unless it's with like freaking Aston Alexandria or whatever. Like their dropout Kings are actually out there doing it and doing it properly. Yeah. It's really cool to see that. And I mean, there's a handful of incredible bands of course that are, that are doing, but yeah, that's one of them, you know, I'm proud to see. And, And Adam's a grinder, man. I mean, he's, he's always wanted it and it's been years, you know I mean? I think, Another thing for bands to keep in mind is like, you know, of course, because you're doing it and you're proof, but consistency and just staying persistent yep. is a big thing, too. Yep. I think that's one of the biggest things. I mean, even like, um, you know, Attila, they were like a middle tier touring band for like seven years until they blew up and then they were a headlining status, you know? And so at any Absolutely. at any point, Attila could have said, oh, this isn't enough money and we can't sustain off of this. But they pushed through a little bit longer and then they were, you know on top and so it's like persistence is so important and yeah man i mean i'm just uh it's it's always interesting hearing from people um that are working behind the scenes in all these different ways and uh it's good to see that you do have a bit of a more old school mentality on how to do this stuff because i do think like you said it's proven and it's the way to do it and um yeah i'm uh I appreciate you being here talking to me and I'm sure that me and you have a lot more we can talk about, um, <laughs> about it behind the scenes. Totally. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll totally. be, we'll be talking behind the scenes about a few different things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I look forward to it. And obviously everybody tune in, make sure you you know subscribe and follow if you're not and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, thank you so much again for having me. This has been great. Heck yeah. All right. I'll talk to you here soon, man. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening through that episode. Make sure you leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. And also head over to burnthisworld.com and become a member for only $3 and get some exclusive content from the podcast like the after show where I give my thoughts on the episode you just listened to. So again, thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one. Peace out.